Father in heaven, as we come to study your word this morning, I pray that you'd bless us in a very special way. Lord, you promised where two or three are gathered in your name, you'd also be there in the midst of us. So Lord, I pray that you would teach us and help us to understand the prophecies that are written in Daniel. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, now the name Daniel pretty much implies the theme of the whole book of 12 chapters and 357 verses. Daniel has 357 verses and 12 chapters. Now, what is the meaning of the name Daniel? The word Dan simply means judge, and L, which is the end part of it, means God. So it means God is my judge or the judge of God. And we're going to see this both instances throughout the 12 chapters of Daniel, where Daniel is delivering a message of judgment, whether it's to Babylon or to different people or places, or where we see God judging. Okay? So we see both of these instances happening in Daniel. But the overall theme that we can really get from this is judgment. Now, come with me to Revelation 14. You see, because Daniel is a messenger of judgment, let's go to Revelation chapter 14, and we're looking at verse 6 and 7. Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7. Keeping in mind that Daniel is a messenger of judgment, let's read this. Verse 6, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth, unto every nation and kindred and tongue and people. So here in verse 6, we see another angel. Now, angel means messenger. That is what angel means. It simply means messenger. And so we see a messenger, and it's not a literal angel per se, but it's a messenger, and he's about to deliver a message of saying in verse 7, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to His name, to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come. So somehow the first angel's message is tied very closely with the book of Daniel. So we're already beginning to see how Daniel and Revelation are companion books. Okay, so that's the first thing. Um, in order to effectively give the first angel's message found in Revelation 14, we need to understand the book of Daniel first. Okay? Now, so, in order to be able to give effectively the first angel's message, we need to be like Daniel. And we're going to see more clearly what Daniel was like, how he lived his life, and, of course, what we ought to be like as well. So in order to effectively give the three angels' message, especially the first, we need to understand the book of Daniel and we need to be like Daniel. Because we're going to see in chapter 1 the reason why. Now, in Daniel, it contains six chapters of prophecy, approximately, and six chapters of stories. Okay, it's split evenly. Six and six. Six chapters of prophecy and six chapters of stories. 
Now, what is the purpose of prophecy? The purpose of prophecy is to tell us what's going to come in the future. Now, if we go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 9, let's look at this, helping us to understand the purpose of prophecy. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 9. The purpose of prophecy, this is what it says, The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Now, prophecy per se is saying here, is based on history. What's going to happen in the future has already happened in the past. And there's nothing new under the sun. So it would do us well to study really the Old Testament very well to help us understand what is going to come in the future. I mean, you understand that Isaiah, Jeremiah, and these people, they prophesied of Jesus coming. So if we had studied history, if the, the people during that time that lived during Jesus' birth, if they had studied prophecy, history, sorry, they would have understood and known that the man that stood before them was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. There's nothing new under the sun. So history tells us what is going to come in the future. History is prophecy foretold in advance. Now we go over to chapter 3 of Ecclesiastes. And verse 15, Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 15, this is what it says, That which hath been is now, and that which is to be hath already been, and God requireth that which is what? Past. God requires the past. Why? Because that which hath been that that happened in the past is what? Now it's present. And that which is to be hath already been. So that which is in the future has already happened before. Once again, re-emphasizing that there is nothing new under the sun. So that is why it's very important to study history, to understand prophecy. And if you don't like history, like me, I never liked history before in the past. I hated reading history. It was so boring. But because of prophecy, I liked it. Because you see how history repeats itself over and over and over and over again. You see this in the book of Judges. The same cycle happens over and over again if you study that book. History keeps repeating itself. Nothing is new. So, history repeats itself. And here's an, an example that we find. Matthew 24. Let's go there. An example of seeing history repeats itself to help us to understand what's going to come in the future. Matthew 24, and we're looking at verses 37 to 39. Matthew 24, verses 37 to 39. We all there? This is an example of how we see history repeat. Starting in verse 37, the Bible says, But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, 
until that the day that Noah entered into the ark, and knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. So here we give an example that history is going to repeat itself. You know what? You want to know what the second coming is going to be like? Just study the story of Noah in the past. That will give us a clear understanding what the last days are going to be like. They're going to be eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. And that's exactly what's happening now. There's nothing new under the sun. So that's why it's important to understand history to tell us what's going to come in the future. Now, this instance that helps us to understand why there are six stories in Daniel. Six chapters on stories. Why? Because it tells us the details of how the prophecy is going to be fulfilled. You understand what I mean? So the, the actual prophecy, the six chapters of prophecy in Daniel, tell us the future in symbols and signs. But the six chapters of stories tell us how it's going to be fulfilled through a story. gives us an illustration. Chapter 1 is a story. Chapter 3 is a story. Chapter 2 is somewhat a story, but more it's prophecy than anything else. But we see how history is going to repeat itself through these stories. And so if we understand these stories, we're going to be able to understand what's going to come in the future. We're going to look for these signs. Is that clear? Okay, let's move on. Now, I want to look at the life of Daniel just briefly and what we should be like. I mean, as of course, we go through the book, we're going to understand more and more what we ought to be like. But I just want to have a look at a few things that I thought, felt were important to look at. Let's go to Daniel chapter 1 and verse 3. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 3. Help. Let's have a look at the life of Daniel and what we understand about him so that we can model after him. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 3, it says, And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. Now, obviously, Daniel was of royalty, but no, that's not what I'm interested in here. It says that he should bring certain of the children of Israel. He stood out from everybody else. So, Daniel was of an outstanding character that he stood out. Not necessarily that he was of princely blood, but the thing that we're seeing here is that Daniel was of outstanding character. Verse 4 of chapter 1 as well, it says, Children in whom was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science, and as such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. From this verse, it just indicates briefly that Daniel was very intelligent. Very intelligent man. And so, is intelligence required in God's work? Yes. But He doesn't call those that are qualified. He will qualify the call. You have to understand that. God does not pick only those that are intelligent. But one thing that we have to be in these last days is intelligent. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you want to have wisdom, you want to have intelligence, fear the Lord. What does that mean? You have to go out and study in your own time. But Daniel was a very intelligent man, outstanding in character, intelligent in mind, and it said no blemish too. That means he was very handsome, looked very good. 
the way he presented himself. So the way we ought to be presenting ourselves. As we go out, as people see us, it has to be one that is different from the rest of everybody. It has to be a step above everybody else. Let's go to Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. Something else that I want to point out. Daniel chapter 6 and verse 10. Another characteristic that we notice about Daniel. Now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being opened in his chamber toward Jerusalem. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did what? A fourth time. Daniel was a man of habitual prayer. If there's anything that we need to be today is a prayerful man. Constantly. Daniel prayed habitually three times a day. Three times a day. A four time. That means habitually. He did it before. He didn't do it just because of crisis. He didn't do it when he, he came across hard circumstances. He did it because that was his habit of praying to the Lord three times a day. Daniel was a man of prayer. And of course, we're going to go into more detail then. But one more. You see, when Daniel was taken to Babylon, he was probably around 15 years old. And from his journey from Jerusalem to Babylon, he was castrated. He became a eunuch. And we read this in Daniel chapter 1. And, you know, you got to understand, if you cast your minds back to the age of 15, if you were taken as captive, what would you be like? Would you be able to stand being castrated, <laughs> but still be solidified in your commitment to God? You know, Daniel is a life that shows us that at the age of 15, we can be consecrated when we're that young. You don't have to be 20, 25 years old to be consecrated to God. You don't have to be out of your teens or out of high school to be consecrated to God. Daniel was not out of high school, 15 years old. Yeah, he was one of intelligence and he was one that was a man of prayer, but all these things led to the idea that this is why he was committed to God. At the age of 15. Now we read this in 4th volume of the Testimonies, 40, page 570. 4th volume of the Testimonies, 40, page 570. It says this, Daniel was but 18 years old when brought into a heathen court in service to the king of Babylon. And because of his youth, his noble resistance of wrong and his steadfast adherence to the right are the more admirable. His noble example should bring strength to the tried and tempted even at the present day. It says that Daniel was 18 years old when he was brought into the court before the king. Now that was when he had three years of training, which we're going to read in Daniel chapter 1. Daniel had already been in Babylon three years before he was brought before King Nebuchadnezzar. So when he first entered into Babylon, he was 15 years old. And keep this in mind as you read Daniel chapter 1, okay? We're going to go through it. But keep in mind that Daniel was only 15 when he went through the trials, I guess, or the conflicts in Daniel chapter 1. He was only 15 years old. Now, one more thing that I want to point out about Daniel in the spirit of prophecy, 
Prophets and Kings says this, PK 485. PK 485. It says, At the court of Babylon were gathered representatives from all lands, men of the highest talent, men the most richly endowed with natural gifts, and possessed of and possessed of the broadest culture that the world could bestow. Yet among them all, the Hebrew youth were without a peer. That means no one could match them. The Hebrew youth were without a peer. In physical strength and beauty, in mental vigor and literary attainment, they stood unrivaled. So they looked good, they had a good mind. The erect form the firm elastic step, the fair countenance, the undimmed senses, the untainted breath. He had, he had no bad breath. His senses were all sharp. Elastic step, erect form. He didn't, he didn't have a hunch. He was straight like a log. All were so, all were so many certificates of good habits insignia of the nobility with which nature honors those who are obedient to her laws. So Daniel, on moreover, he wasn't just smart, but he took care of his body. He obeyed the laws of health. That's why he stood straight. That's why he didn't have undimmed senses. That's why he didn't have bad breath. Daniel was one to be admired both physically and also spiritually and intellectually. He had it all. But I want to look at two more texts before we move on. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 14. That last reference that we were looking at was Prophets and Kings, page 485. PK 485. Now let's go to Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 14. Another characteristic that I want to bring out about Daniel. Ezekiel 14 and verse 14. <clears throat> Ezekiel 14 and verse 14. Ezekiel's writing here, and Ezekiel was one of the contemporaries of Daniel. That means he was alive during the time of Daniel. And you got to understand that when Ezekiel wrote this, when Daniel was alive, Notice what he says about him. Ezekiel 14 and verse 14. Though these three men, Noah, he's in the past, Daniel, he was in the present, and Job, who is also in the past, were in it. Those these three men were in it. They should deliver but their own souls by their righteousness, saith the Lord God. Ezekiel, who is writing during the time while Daniel, while Daniel was alive, said that Daniel was a righteous man. He was like a legend. Can you believe that? Ezekiel would be writing about him while he was alive. God said that of him. Though these three men, Noah, Job, these two men had already passed, but Daniel was present tense to him. Though these three men were in the land, they would deliver nobody but their own by their own righteousness. So Daniel was a righteous man. He was honored and favored of God. And we will see why more clearly as we go through the book of Daniel. But that's Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 14. Now come with me to Matthew chapter 14 and verse, uh, chapter 24, pardon me. Matthew 24 and verse 15. 
Jesus is speaking here. First, we see God, through Ezekiel, called Daniel a righteous man. But now in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 15, this is what we read. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. You see, Jesus points back. He says, if you want to learn the last days, he points back to Daniel. So an injunction is given to us here to study the book of Daniel by Jesus Christ. He told his disciples to go back because he's speaking to his disciples here as we read in verse 1 of Matthew 24. But he tells his disciples to go back and study the book of Daniel. And it says, Whoso readeth, let him what? Understand. So it's a fallacy when people come across to you and say, I do not understand the book of Daniel. Jesus said, Whoso readeth, let him understand. Now why is it that people do not understand? Why is it that people, so many people today do not understand the book of Daniel? According to verse 15, yes, whoso readeth, let him understand. They don't read it. They don't search it out and seek it out for themselves. But Jesus called Daniel a prophet. And what do prophets do? They prophesy. They tell us about the future. So we need to understand the book of Daniel for the future. But why is it that people don't understand? Come with me to Matthew chapter 13. Why don't people understand the book of Daniel? Matthew chapter 13. You see, Daniel and Revelation, they're written with a lot of symbolization. They're written in a way that when people look at it, sometimes they don't understand. They're written, I guess you can say, in a sort of parable-type way. But here in Matthew chapter 13, and we're looking at starting with verse 10, the disciples come to Jesus, and they say unto Him, Why speakest thou unto them in what? In parables. And in verse 11, he answered and said unto them, Because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. So Jesus spoke in parables. Number first reason why? So some people will understand and some people won't. Verse 12, For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Verse 13, now watch this. Therefore speak I to them in parables, because they seeing, see not. And hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. Now, you can read the Bible. You can read the book of Daniel. And you may memorize it and know all the symbolization and know what chapter has what in it, but you may never understand it. Why? Because you may see, and what do you use your eyes for? To read. Now remember in Matthew 24, it says, Whoso readeth, let him what? Understand. Right? But here it says, Seeing you see not, and hearing you hear not, neither do they what? Understand. So is reading enough? No. Just because you have a Bible and you've memorized it and read it, it's not enough. It doesn't mean you understand it. 
That's why there's so many different opinions and views out there of different verses and texts, but there can only be one interpretation. There can only be one interpretation, but many different applications of a certain text. So why is it that they do not understand? Let's read verse 15. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have what? Closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, and should understand with their hearts, and should be converted, and I should heal them. What is the reason why they don't understand? Is because they are not converted. The reason why people look at Daniel and so many different interpretations come out is because they're not converted. They're not converted by Jesus Christ. They haven't turned from their old ways of sin. Daniel and Revelation are not books that you start the beginner off and pray that they'll be converted. Yes, you can use them. But what converts them is not prophecy. What converts them is Jesus Christ. And yes, Revelation in a great degree at the same time, on the other hand, can be used because Revelation is the revelation of who? Jesus Christ. But what is the reason why so many people are not understanding the book of Daniel? It's because they're not converted. It's that simple. There's no other rocket science or genius behind it. So maybe if we go through this book of Daniel, if you don't understand, you need to go back and search your heart very carefully. Maybe you've studied it before and you didn't understand. Possibly you're not converted. So it's very important to understand that because in order to apply these things to understand what is coming in the future, you have to have that conversion experience. Alright, with all that said, let's go to Daniel chapter 1. We're not going to be able to go through the whole chapter today. We'll come back to it. This is the introduction, right? Yes. We just covered the introduction of Daniel. <clears throat> now, Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1 is a story. 21 verses. And in Daniel chapter 1, it's split up into different sections. But really the overall theme of this chapter is what we call the test of diet. The test of or the test on diet. Yes, there are other things that come out, but overall we're seeing different things come out. But the main thing is the test on diet. Now, you have to understand the importance of Daniel chapter 1. You see, if Daniel did not fulfill this test in Daniel chapter 1, there will be no Daniel chapter 2, Daniel chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. There won't be. Daniel chapter 1 is a foundational chapter. It's foundational. That means if Daniel chapter 1, if Daniel did not come through successfully in chapter 1, the rest of the chapters would have not been written that way. Maybe in Daniel chapter 2, as you read it in the future, when the king went and killed everybody, Daniel would have been killed with them. 
Why? Because he didn't pass Daniel chapter 1. You have to understand the importance of this chapter. And remember, Daniel is only 15 as he goes through this first chapter. He's not a wise old man with many experience and learned from his mistakes in the past. No, he's a fresh young man coming into his youth. But yet, at the same time, he understands his responsibilities. So let us look at Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, came Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, unto Jerusalem and besieged it. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim, comes Nebuchadnezzar, who's the king of Babylon, he besieges Jerusalem. Now, if you besiege a place, what are you doing? You're conquering. But what sort of method of besiege, what does that mean? When you besiege a place, what do you do? You overtake it. Yes, that's the ultimate result. But when you're besieging, what do you do? You see, Jerusalem was like a castle, a city as well, okay? Surrounded by walls, right? It was actually set on a hill as well. It was elevated. But what, when you besiege a place, all you do is surround it. And you wait for their food supply to run out. Now, you see... Babylon could not have been besieged. Why? Because it had a, a river of water running right through it. And they said there that in Babylon, you had enough food that it lasts five, ten years. They were self-sufficient. They didn't need anybody. But in Jerusalem here, there was no water running through it or beside it. So here, Nebuchadnezzar comes and besieges Jerusalem. Probably a type of what will happen to us in the last days. Starved out. Or what Revelation 13 talks about, no buying, no selling. But let's move on. Verse 2 is very important for us to understand. It says, And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, Nebuchadnezzar's hand. The Lord gave the Israelites into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. with part of the vessels of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and he brought the vessels into the treasure house of his God. Now, why is it? Why is it that God gave Jehoiakim and the whole Jerusalem into the hand of Babylon? The reason being is, if you study the history, we don't have time to go through that, but go back and research. The reason why God gave Jerusalem into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar was because you see that from the beginning The plan of God was that the Israelite nation would grow and grow and grow and it would eventually encompass the whole world. Why? Because there were to be lights on a hill. And this light would shine and as it shone, it would affect others and other people would catch that light as well. But that is not what they did. What they did was they locked themselves up into this wall in the city called Jerusalem and they would not shine their lights to other people. And so the only way for God to get the light out was for other people to conquer them and bring these people and scatter them. And that was God's plan from the beginning to let them grow. But because they didn't do that, God brought Nebuchadnezzar, pagan nations, to come and conquer them so they'll be forced to witness to others. And it says that the Lord gave Jehoiakim. Yes. Why? Because God sees over all. And he allowed this to happen for a reason. 
allowed the Israelites to be taken into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. It was God's plan. Not that we'll, any should perish, but when we do not follow what God says, He has to resort to plan B. God can only work as much as we allow Him to work, if we want to be obedient or not. And they weren't. So God had to give so it's like Jerusalem into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. So it's like God is forcing them to speak out. Mm-hmm. God is forcing them to speak out, definitely. Why? Because they were not being lights to the rest of the world. Now, let's continue on. Verse 3. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. So this is, this is very important to note that the king only wanted certain of the children of Israel, of the king's seed and of the what? Princes. So he only wanted royal lineage and only certain people of that royal lineage. So I'm assuming that he didn't bring all those that were of the king's seed, but certain. He was picky, he was choosy. And you know what? The devil is choosy with who he wants to. He doesn't want useless people in his cause. He'll have them, but he wants smart, intelligent people as well. Why we see this in verse 4? Children in whom was no blemish, but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge. That means they knew how to use their knowledge and understanding science and as such had ability to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. So Nebuchadnezzar was also very picky with the sort of people he wanted. He didn't want any stupid man, a beggar, or any old person that he conquered from Jerusalem. He was very picky with the people that he brought back. The devil wants very smart, intelligent men in his cause too. God's not the only one that's vying for the minds of men. Intelligent men. And if we come over to Peter, First Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. We read, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people. You see, God calls us of royal heritage as well. So, Satan is also vying for the minds, fighting for the minds of God's people today as well. But it says at the end of verse 9 of 1 Peter chapter 2, that you should show forth the praises of Him who hath called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. If we do not witness, God will bring us into straight places that will cause us to witness for our faith. And either we witness or we don't. We either witness for Him or we lose our faith. And we see this in Daniel chapter 1 as well that Daniel and his three Hebrew friends were not the only ones that were brought. I mean, can you imagine conquering a whole city and only bring four people to back with you? I'm sure there were more than that, right? But remember, Daniel is how old? 15. He's 15 and he's in the king's palace. Now, in verse 4, I want to go back over this in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 4. It says, Children in whom was no blemish, perfect outwardly. They were handsome, beautiful, whatever you want to call them. But there were no blemishes on them. 
they were inspected physically, but well-favored. Everybody liked them. Well-favored. So they had to have a good reputation. Thirdly, skillful in all wisdom. Skillful. And, and that goes along with cunning and knowledge. You see, skillful in all wisdom and cunning and knowledge showed that they knew how to use the knowledge that they had. The knowledge that they acquired, they knew how to use it. Very important. And then, of course, an understanding science. You know, <laughs> there's a lot of science and science streams out there for us to study. But Daniel was so well educated that he knew at the age of 15. Can you believe that? He knew, he understood sciences. I mean, when I was in high school, they didn't really teach um, split and complex science until I was age 16, 17. I, you know, you learn the general science when you're younger about nature and all these things. But he was skillful and cunning in knowledge. At the age of 15, this is what he was. You believe that? And such as had ability to stand in the king's palace and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. So, these young men were educated to such a degree that they were able to stand in the king's palace and they had all these qualities that the king desired. But why is that? Now, if you come with me to a Bible text found in 2 Kings chapter 20, 2 Kings chapter 20 and verses 17 through 18. 2 Kings chapter 20 verses 17 through 18. We're going to understand to a great degree why Daniel was the way that he was. It wasn't by accident that Daniel was intelligent. He was smarter than everybody else there. It was by no accident that Daniel was like this. Second Kings, chapter 20, verses 17 through 18. 2 Kings chapter 20, verses 17 through 18, the Bible says, Behold, the days come that all that is in thine house and that which thy fathers have laid up in store unto this day shall be carried into Babylon. Nothing shall be left, saith the Lord. And the, of thy sons that shall issue from thee, which thou shalt beget, shall they take away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. You see, before Babylon came and conquered Jerusalem, and before they took all the people that they wanted selectively, they were told. They knew that this was going to come. Second Kings chapter 20, verses 17 through 18 is a prophecy telling us that sometime in the future, God is going to allow Babylon to come and destroy Jerusalem. But at the same time, it says that their sons shall be taken away from you. And they're going to be, what? Eunuchs in the palace. Now, if you're a mother or a father reading this, what are you going to do? You're going to prepare your children to stand in that day. If you're really God-fearing parent, you'll make sure that your child, you've done all that you can to make sure that your child does not fall away from the faith that they believe when they're separated from you. Because we're told that the sons are going to be taken from thee. They're going to be issued from thee. And so, those that looked at this prophecy and they understood 
the words of Isaiah, who prophesied about this. In verse 16, we're told that Isaiah said to Hezekiah, hear the word of the Lord. Isaiah was speaking to the king and says, look, you better pay attention. One day in the future, your children are going to be taken away from you and Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. What are you going to do? You're going to prepare for that time in the future when your children are going to be taken away. How do you prepare them? Through education. The way you bring them up. And you're going to understand the reason why Daniel was the way that he was and every child was the way that he was was because that the parents had prepared them. Some of them just intellectually. But at least I know Daniel was prepared both intellectually, physically and spiritually in all three areas. And this is the sort of education that we should be having. Intellectual education, understanding of books, sciences, cunning and knowledge, skillful in all wisdom, spiritually, being faithful to God, and physically, no blemish. They were physically fit. Why? Because if we are to stand against the devil in the last days, we need to have these three education systems in, ingrained in us. These three streams of education that we should have to have. It's not just enough to sit there and read your Bible all day. It's useless to just sit there and read the Bible all day and that's it. You have to have physical education, not running around and playing sports, but physically you have to be fit. And thirdly, you have to be mentally sharp, intellectually sharp. And all these three are connected, you're going to see. And these three ways, Satan is also vying for the minds of men as well. But there's going to come a time in the future when we're told that we're going to be brought before kings and princes and lawyers and different people and we're going to be questioned for the faith that we have. There's going to come a time when there's going to be this mark of the beast issue that's going to come forth. A test on diet, a test on spiritual values. The question is, what are you doing now? Daniel chapter 1 shows us what we ought to be doing. And Daniel chapter 1 shows us what we're going to be first tested on. But remember, we have a prophecy that's already been told to us. What are you doing today to prepare for that? Let's move on. Verse 5 of Daniel chapter 1. Verse 5 of Daniel chapter 1. The Bible says here, And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. So even the king, he was very smart. You've got to understand Nebuchadnezzar. He's not a stupid man. He put them through three years of education. Three years of education is enough to change your whole life and the way you look at life. You see that? And it says here, the king appointed them. Now, who is them? Who is the them referring to? The children from Israel. He's not feeding Babylonians. He's feeding Israelites that he just conquered and taken back from Jerusalem. It says, the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat. Unclean meat, or could I just say meat? And what? And of the wine which he drank. So nourishing them three years. And at the end thereof, they might stand before the king. The king, number one, was interested in their, what? Physical. That's the first thing that he looked at. The first thing that Satan always attacks is the physical. 
It's interesting to note that Ellen White says, if you can overcome your appetite, you can overcome any sin. The first thing that the king did was to attack their physical. Why? Because the physical is very closely related to the mental. And then on top of that, if your mind is gone, spiritually, you can't function either. So physically, and then intellectually, and then spiritually, they're all built on top of one another. If you sleep late, you can't wake up early, you feel groggy, you can't read your Bible. Why do you sleep late? Because maybe because you eat late, and when you eat late, you wake up tired. Your mind is not clear. If you eat too much, once again, your mind can't function again. It's clouded. So many instances you're going to see, and research shows that, and we know that as people, that if your physical is not healthy, there's no way your mind can function properly. There's no way you, God can speak to your mind because your mind is not functioning properly. So even Satan understands the first point of attack that he always has is physical. Physical. So we need to be healthy people. Very healthy people. We've got to look healthy. We've got to be healthy inside and also out. So, I don't want to be mean, but let me put it just this way, simply, okay? There's no room for anorexic or obese Christians in the last days. Without blemish. You have to eat healthy, you have to exercise. God's given us a plan of healthful living in the Bible. That one we ought to follow. Let's continue. So verse 5, we see physical attack. Now let's look at verse 6. Now among these were of the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And these are the Hebrew names that are given. Okay? These are Hebrew names that are given to Daniel and his three friends. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And then in verse 7 we read this, Unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. So, the king tells the eunuch, prince of the eunuchs, to change their names from Hebrew names to Babylonian or pagan names. Now that's not a big deal. Or is it? Well, let's read this commentary. It's taken from Youth Instructor, YI, October 29, 1907. What was the significance of them changing their names? What is it again? YI? YI, Youth Instructor, October 29, 1907. Now this is what it reads. Among those chosen from the captives of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So we just read that, okay? Verse, that was verse 6. Unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. So he quotes verse 6 and 7 that we just read, the changing of their names. And it says the Babylonian officer had an object in thus changing the names of a Hebrew youth. 
Anciently, the name of a child stood for his character, and the names given to these children were characteristic of what it was expected they would become. For example, my name, we all, our names have meanings. And sometimes the names are chosen because that's what they want their children to become. You never hear a name, Lucifer. You don't hear parents calling their children Lucifer. Why? Because there's a bad connotation attached with it. So we're very careful in choosing names. Uh, well, have you noticed that you don't choose names of, um, for your children or you want to think about such names if, you, if it's associated with someone you don't like or you had a bad experience with? You don't want them to become like that person. But we choose names because we want our children to be like that. Then it says, They were young in years, and this change in their names, it was believed, would make an impression on their minds. In a little while, it was hoped their formal religion would be forgotten, and they would become in character and purpose like the Chaldean youth about them. So, the purpose of changing their names was that they would change the way they thought, dealing with the mind, intellectually and also what? Spiritually. That's why in verse 4, at the end there we read that they taught them the tongue of the Chaldeans. So, when we look at this, Satan attacked all three, physical, mental, and spiritual. And that's exactly the way he starts off. Mostly, usually with physical or intellectual. It's never with spiritual because if you attack spiritually, if you're a consecrated guy, you just put up your guard. Oh, that's error. I'm not going to listen to it. Satan's smart. He doesn't do that. If you know your Bible, he's not going to attack you that way. He'll attack you physically. Come on. You're hungry. Just eat, eat a little bit. That's not doctrinal, is it? And of course, people are gonna—they're gonna argue that's not doctrinal at all. Yeah, just take a little bit. Have some soda. Twelve teaspoons of sugar. It affects you physically, and your mind can't function properly. And spiritually, you never grow. So Satan attacked all these three, and from that we give them foundation of the rest of the chapter of Daniel. We're going to stop right here, and we're going to go through the rest of Daniel one the next time. So let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Let's kneel. Father in heaven, we realize that you are vying, you're fighting for our minds today. But Lord, you also want us to be intellectually smart and alert and also physically that we would also be without blemish like Daniel. Lord, sometimes we look at this story and we feel that that's such a high calling, something that is almost wholly impossible to achieve. But Father, you require nothing less than for us to be Daniels today. So Father, I know that you made it possible. Help us to search out the Scriptures to see how we can live such a life. May you come and teach us, O Lord, and help us to truly take care of our physical, mental, and spiritual well-being today. Watch over us is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.